So we've entitled this series Reminders, as we'll see why that's such an important theme in the book, book as we go through. But let's pray as we, as we come to consider this together. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that you have given us the scriptures to remind us of, of your goodness, to remind us of your character, to help us to know you more, to be reminded of what it is you've done in our lives. And we pray you would deepen our understanding of that uh, this morning as we come together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How's that sound back there? Does that sound okay, Mike? Yeah? Not, not blowing anybody's ear off or anything? Good. Okay. We'll read the, the first 15 uh, verses this morning. Well, first 11, actually. Simeon, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if, you, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in, the, in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. And so reads God's word. I think we've all experienced the fiasco of, of forgetting something. I think one of the more memorable ones for me was when I was invited to preach at another church, which was, I don't know, maybe... 25 minutes drive away from our house, something like that, and things had kicked off in, in the service, and I was sitting there, and I had, had my bag, and I said, oh, I'll just, you know, have a look over my sermon here before, before I get up. I opened up my bag. It's not there. And I had this little booklet at the time. It was pre-iPad days, and it was nowhere in sight. This sudden realization of the situation you're in. And so Esther was next to me and I was giving her an elbow saying, I forgot the sermon. <laughs> I forgot my notebook. 
And then you have this panic of, you know, uh, what, what, what are we going to do just right now? So on my other elbow was the pastor and a friend of mine, and I said, I've forgotten my sermon. You need to rejig things. So Esther decided to go home. So she probably broke every law in, in the country to get, to get back to the house. And meanwhile, they inverted the whole order of service. So they put the sermon thing right at the end. And uh, even at that, Esther wasn't back. And so I, I was up. I don't know what it is I was talking about. We were talking some kind of nonsense about um, anything, really. And eventually, Esther, Esther appeared uh, with the thing. I was so relieved. Goodness. And there was another service directly after that. And just a sense of relief to know that I had the notes there. But it's such a fiasco when you forget something. And sometimes it's not a deliberate thing like that. But what we find explained to us consistently through the scriptures is there is a deliberate forgetting that goes on. And it happens right through the scriptures. You read in the Old Testament where God's people just seemed to have a very short memory. No matter what it is they've experienced or witnessed, they seem to fall back on doing really poor and negative things immediately afterwards. You have to think, how could they have done that? And yet we find that that is exactly what we're like, and so the scriptures are full of reminders drawing us back um, to God. And we forget how the gospel works as well. We forget how what it is Jesus has provided for us is good for us, good for every aspect of our life and experience. We forget that. And perhaps you've come here today and this everything I'm talking about is completely new to you. And you're thinking, I can't be reminded of something I don't yet know. That's a fair enough point. And hopefully we can explain some of those things to you. But even if you are new to it, just to help you understand that this is something the Bible does. It reminds us of these core things all the time. And so you see in, in this book, say for example in verses 12, he, say, he says, therefore I, re- I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Then again in verse 15, he says, I'll make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. And if you flip over to chapter 3, verse 1, there Peter the writer says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring you up. I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Then again in, in verse 17, He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own um, stability. So he's telling them about something they already know and he is reminding them consistently of these things uh, right right through the book. And what he's doing is reminding them of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are here today to celebrate that to seek more of it and to ask for a greater experience of it in the future. Not to move on to something new or something different, but to be reminded of everything we have in the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus provides all you need. Everything about the gospel is good news. If it is you're new to things and you're considering faith, it's not something you do of your own strength. Rather, Jesus provides it all for you. The gospel is good news. And if it is you are a Christian and you're seeking to move forward, and we as a church, how we move forward is going to be because Jesus has provided it all for us. So firstly, I want us to think about the Jesus 
provides faith in verses one to two. Um, Jesus provides faith. Simeon, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. Jesus provides faith. The gospel concerns who Jesus is and what he has achieved in his life, in his death, his crucifixion, in his resurrection. He has provided all that we need to be in relationship with God, the forgiveness of sin, as the scriptures put it, and the freedom that that brings, the joy that that brings that Killian was mentioning. And it is Jesus that provides that. He is our God. You see how he puts that so explicitly in verse one? The righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our God. He is our rescuer. He saves those who cannot save themselves. He brings people to God who cannot stand on their own. He, in their own right, he provides faith. He gives us our faith. We receive it from him. Jesus provides it. He gave his life to give us faith. He is the giver who makes us who and what we are for Christians. And it is a joy to be reminded of that. And Peter is reminding them of these things. Sometimes as people look into Christian things, or even as uh, some of us look at other Christians, you can think to yourself, well, you know, I could never have a faith like that. Or I could never have a faith as, as great or as incredible as yours. But look at how Peter introduces it. He says in verse one, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, of equal standing with the apostles. You couldn't ask for a firmer faith like that, but that is the faith that Jesus is providing for you. He's made provision for that, a faith as precious as that of the apostles. It's no wonder he's, he's so excited and wanting to see this grow and multiply as he says, may Greece, may Greece, that's where Satyrus is from, may grace, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And maybe you would like some more multiplication in Greece. But anyway, uh, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He wants them to experience the joy of knowing that they have a faith of equal standing with him. There are no cheap seats in the economy of God. There's no VIP seats either because Jesus provides it all and he provides a faith of equal standing. And this theme of knowing that truth is very powerful and it comes right through the book and it's not just a head knowledge, rather it's drawing you into a life changing relationship with God himself, one that moves forward, one that is awe-inspiring, life-changing, going into every facet, nook and cranny of your life and your experience and changing it through the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus provides faith for you to grow. In that way, he has provided all of it and he reminds them of the beauty of their faith. And so you don't need to be strong, spiritually speaking, to be a Christian. You don't need to have it sorted or be all cleaned up and have all of your issues resolved. 
Jesus cleanses you. Jesus is the one who has it sorted. Jesus is the one who provides faith. We've learned already from, from Killian, Jesus provides, has provided his faith and our faith, and he does that for the church. He's provided the faith of this church, and it is his provision that will take us forward, Lord willing, into the years that will come in his grace. And there's tremendous freedom in that. It is liberating, and it is humbling, and there's great joy in that. So Jesus provides faith. Secondly, in verses three to four, Jesus provides for growth. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Those who perhaps think I'm not, I couldn't be good enough to be a Christian, they they then perhaps also mistakenly think, well, you know, if I was, I couldn't really live it out. Or perhaps you, you think that you're here this morning and you're making a rubbish job of being a Christian. You know, what's the most comforting thing I can tell you this morning? Try harder. Do you want to hear that? You know, just work on it a bit more, sort yourself out, would you? That wouldn't be very encouraging. But Jesus provides for growth. For growth. He provides for that. Look what he says in verse three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need for life and godliness has been provided by and in Jesus. We see he's the one who called us and now we're told he's the one who provides for our growth. So the good news keeps pouring in in terms of what it is Jesus has given to us. He provides a precious faith. He provides precious promises to see that faith grow so much that he can say in the second half of verse four, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. And what does that mean? Does it mean that perhaps you, know, you might be able to walk on water just for a little bit? Does it mean that you may be able to run the world for a while or you know, become some kind of interim master of the universe? I mean, what does it mean to be, to partake in the divine nature? In context, it would seem to be about becoming more like our provider, Jesus. The more like him we become, the more we escape that which would corrupt us. After all, nothing corrupted Jesus. And that growth doesn't take us out of the world. It takes us specifically out of the corruption that is in the world because Jesus came to our world he didn't hide away from it and we can therefore escape the corruption in the world through him and Jesus provides all we need for exactly that so we're not trying to run away from the world around us but we escape rather everything in this world that would ruin us and Jesus provides for that he provides for growth so what does that look like? Well, it moves us on to the third point of Jesus expects your faith to grow. He provides faith, he provides for growth, and Jesus expects your faith to grow. You see in, in verses five to 10, we look at that, but look at how it begins. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with all these things, to add to your faith for this very reason. 
virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. Because he has provided for this very reason, it's vital that context is maintained in our thinking. What does it look like when this provision impacts your life? To give you an example, a, a local pastor uh, here in the city, he talked about how he realized in terms of how he was doing his leadership that he was being very narky with people and that he was blaming people for his own frustrations and his own shortcomings. And so he proceeded to write 10 letters to the people that he felt that he had offended and hadn't served well on his leadership team. And it went a long way to restore relationships, to show his character was changing in the gospel, and to really bring relationships on that team forward. And that was an example of this provision beginning to change and get deeper. That faith that Jesus gave him, the provision Jesus made for his faith to grow, seeped into his heart deeper and deeper and resulted in him putting pen to paper to those 10 fellow leaders. He acknowledged it was hard. It, it took and does take a lot of effort, but he was not expecting Jesus to write those 10 letters for him. But he understood that therefore, for this very reason, and he was adding to his faith. But we need to remember that provision in verse that's been coming before verse 5. That provision is essential. Jesus expects you to grow because he has given you all you need to do so. If we forget that, we'll get caught up in sense of failure, of, of guilt, of apathy, of isolation, of bitterness, disappointment and burnout. That's where all of those things lead. But Jesus provides faith. He provides for growth and he expects us to grow. He has given us the faith to add to our faith. And we can only do that because of his provision. And to make every effort to grow in the kind of characteristics that he's putting here before us. It's one of many, many summaries like this occur in the New Testament. But essentially what it is doing is drawing out more Jesus-like characteristics in our life and in our experience. His life exemplified these very traits, and so it is to grow in our knowledge and experience of him. And every reminder needs an action point. There's no point having a reminder if then you don't do what it reminds you of. I have a very mundane reminder in my calendar. It comes up every two weeks, recycling. And recycling comes up the night before, I need to get the recycling out. Very mundane thing. But the reminder itself is not going to put the bin out. You know, you've got to act on the reminders, don't you? And that's what Peter, Peter is doing here, reminding us to act in light of the provision and we have in Jesus. And not just that we have these characteristics, but that they're growing. You see how he puts it in verse 8? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the purpose of this growth? It's quite stark, isn't it? 
to keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in your knowledge of Jesus. See, the knowledge is meant to be creating change in our experience and in our lives. So if you possess these qualities and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge or unfruitful of Jesus. So knowing Jesus is not a vague or a a mystical concept. It's meant to be something effective, literally, something productive, something fruitful. Jesus expects you to grow. And I think this verse is tremendously encouraging because who among us really doesn't sometimes feel completely ineffective and completely unproductive and unfruitful in going forward as a Christian? I mean, I think we experience that all the time. But here's a reminder. Here's a reminder that we have everything we need to possess these qualities and for those qualities to be increasing. Keep us from being ineffective and unproductive. Our partner, one of our partner churches in, in Texas, Austin City Life, the pastor there, Jonathan Dodson, tells a story of how he and his wife had organized to go to uh, Europe on holiday. And the kids had been, they have three kids, and somebody had been arranged to look after the children. They had booked their vacation, as the Americans say, and everything was, everything was sorted out for the trip. And the Americans get a lot less holidays than us, so you know it's especially important that they got the thing right. And then Jonathan, as he was getting his things together, pulled out his passport and realized it was out of date. He'd not renewed his passport. He'd forgotten. And he had to break the news to his wife, Robbie. We can't go. I forgot about the passport. And he tells the story more so because his wife took it so well, for as he said, I would have gone nuts, but Robbie was so gracious towards me in that moment and we made other arrangements. Sometimes when we forget things, it, it can result in a loss, a loss of a holiday in this example to where you had gone. But if, if we forget about everything we've got in Jesus, we're in danger of losing much more. We're in danger of losing the whole purpose of the gospel itself and of losing sight of and memory of the gospel. And yes, of losing out on, on a lived experience uh, with him. We can become blind to the fact that Jesus has cleansed us of our sin. We can forget that he has provided everything for us. And so that is why we share in communion together again as a reminder, a very visual reminder, a taste and smell reminder collectively of everything Jesus has done for us. And Jesus expects us to grow so that our knowledge of him may actually be effective and fruitful. And the therefore that follows then in verse, in verse 10 Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Therefore, again, in light of everything he's just been saying, in light of the fact that Jesus provides faith, in light of the fact that Jesus provides for our growth, in light of the fact that he expects us to grow and has given us everything to that end, He basically says now, be enthusiastic about living as a Christian. 
the fact that Jesus provides faith is here too because it is he who calls us, he elects us, he brings us to faith, he is our provider and so we ought to be eager, enthusiastic to live out as our lives as a Christian, to be diligent, to confirm our calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now some of you read a verse like that and your heart sinks, you know, and you, you think I'm rubbish at that. Or, you know, I'm struggling with doubt or assurance. I'm, I'm in need of assurance here. And maybe you think your calling is, is in tatters and you think you could lose it all. But look at the therefore in this text. Jesus is your provider. Run to him. Hold on to him. Rely on him. Celebrate him and revel in the provision that he has given you and go forward in that. To those of you who are perhaps a little bit indifferent right now or apathetic, unmotivated or maybe a little bit stuck, Jesus expects you to eagerly live out your calling. He expects you to move, to grow, to be constantly uh, growing and responding to him. So if it is you're a little bit stuck today, I encourage you to look again at the provision of our Savior and reboot your faith. Get yourself in, in gear. Move, move forward. Start perhaps by speaking to someone about that today. Maybe consider getting into a prayer triplet with some of the guys here in church or join community group that we'll be talking a little bit about later. Because the alternative here is quite stark. It is blind forgetfulness. And finally, Jesus provides his eternal kingdom. You see, he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling for, verse 11, in this way, there will be provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we think about eternity, it's often presented, you know, the fluffy clouds and pearly gates and it's all kind of quite airy-fairy and mystical and frankly not a whole lot appealing, I don't think. Uh, not much notion of what lies beyond, not much of an incentive. But here we're being given a taster of what it is we can expect. Something richly provided, a welcome, richly provided a lavish welcome by Jesus himself into his eternal kingdom. Not clouds and harps and boredom, but a lavish, Jesus-driven welcome. He has provided it all. He has provided everything to lavishly welcome us to meet him face to face. And reminding ourselves of these things keeps us from falling like we have at the end of verse 10, keeps us from falling away from him. The incentive of these things, the prospect of that eternal welcome, he has provided it all for us. And it is an appetizer for us of an eternal reality with all of it provided for us in Jesus as an incentive to encourage us just to keep going, to persevere, Sure, we will fall in terms of making mistakes as we go along. That's, again, why we have communion together as a reminder of that fact. But we won't fall away from him in that ultimate sense. 
And where that eternal kingdom is taking us ultimately is to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness, which Peter talks about right at the close of this book. We're all forgetful. We know that. God knows that. Jesus knows that. And we all have a sense of our own weakness and impoverishedness. That's not even a word. Of how impoverished we are as people and weak. And we need to be provided for. And Jesus provides that for us. He's kind enough to remind us of these things. And not only that, but to provide all we need to remember and to act. And so may that encourage you to move forward with Jesus wherever it is you're starting from today. May that encourage us as a church to move forward in dependence upon him for the coming weeks and months and years, Lord willing, ahead. Therefore, verse 12, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and they're established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for everything you've provided for us in Jesus. As we come together now to reflect on your word and to share in communion together, would you instill these truths further into our hearts in Jesus' name? Amen.